Good morning. I am Ronaldo McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. Today is a momentous day. A momentous day. Today, a new Supreme Court Justice is being inaugurated. Today, a new Supreme Court Justice, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, is set to make US history as the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Let's listening let's let let us listen in on this confirmation. But today, today, today with the topic for discussion is corruption within Black Lives Matter movements. Are they closer to achieving their aims? Today, today on, on our podcast, we will the topic we will be discussing corruption within Black Lives Matter movements. Are they closer to achieving their aims? And I apologize that this particular discussion and this particular podcast episode is right on the heels of a very momentous occasion. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson is being is set to make US history as the first black woman on Supreme Court on the Supreme Court. While we discuss corruption within Black Lives Matter movements, the question is, are they closer to achieving their aim? Let us join the U.S. Senate and Chuck Schumer. Stores closing, schools shutting their doors. But even in the darkest times, there are bright lights. Today is one of the brightest lights. And let us hope it's a metaphor, an indication of many more bright lights to come. As I've said over and over again, there are three words that I think best fit Judge Jackson. Brilliant, beloved, belongs. Judge Jackson is in every sense and by all measures a brilliant jurist. She is indeed a brilliant person. By the judge's own telling, she first discovered her calling to the law, not in a classroom or by reading a book or by talking to lawyers, but by sitting at the kitchen table next to her dad, filling out her coloring book while her dad poured through case law. Years from now, other parents and other daughters will do the same. And it will be Justice Jackson's opinions that will lay open on the table. The judge's parents, her entire family, should beam with pride that this day has come. At every step of her upbringing and career, Katanji Brown Jackson ranked among the highest of achievers. And look, we should take a moment to note that Judge Jackson will be the first and only justice with experience as a public defender. We're proud of that, and America is proud of that. It will enhance the court's ability to preserve a basic truth in our country that all deserve equal justice under the law, from the privileged to the impoverished. In an imperfect world, the judge considered so many hurdles, the judge conquered so many hurdles, and today stands as one of the most experienced individuals ever nominated to the Supreme Court. For this reason, the judge is also beloved by individuals and organizations across the political spectrum. I went through her record carefully and never did I find one instance 
of a peer or colleague or associate say one negative word about her. It was incredible. When we go through these records, you often find someone here and there who will badmouth the individual who knew them. Not with just Judge Jackson. And lest we forget, the judge is popular in the minds of the American people. A Gallup poll released after her hearing showed nearly 60% of the public supports her confirmation, 10 points above the historical norm. And there is no question here, the country by and large wants the Senate to confirm Judge Jackson. Police chiefs want to confirm Judge Jackson. Conservative and moderate and liberal judges all want us to confirm Judge Jackson. And I thank my colleagues in this chamber who worked in good faith to make sure the Senate can finish its work today. Finally, as I've said many times, the judge belongs on the Supreme Court. By that, I mean something very specific. In our nation's history, 115 individuals have been confirmed by this body to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. Of those, 108 have been white men. Only four have been women. Only two have been African-American. But Katanji Brown Jackson will be the first African-American woman ever to hold the title of justice. Think about the impact that will have on our democracy. Untold millions of kids will open textbooks and see pictures of Justice Jackson among the highest ranks of our public figures. How many millions of kids in generations past could have benefited from such a role model? How many would-be justices, lawyers, doctors, generals, business people have been lost to history precisely because their history books had few, if any, role models that they could relate to? We certainly have a long way to go on the road to true justice, but by confirming Judge Jackson today, we are taking a bold step forward towards reaching the full realization of our country's promise. We will make it far more likely that girls across America will feel precisely what Judge Jackson felt herself when she was a kid. Nobody can stop me. I can do this too. I am brilliant too. I belong too. For all these reasons, increasing the diversity of the court has been of one, my, one of my highest priorities and one of the highest priorities of our Senate Democratic majority, of whom I am so proud. Justice Jackson is the most important example, but we've been working on this for over a year. Of the 58 Senate-confirmed federal judges since we took the majority, three-quarters have been women. Two-thirds have been people of color. And it's not just racial or, and gender diversity that matters. We have strived to lift up judges that bring diversity through their experience. More public defenders in our courts, more civil rights lawyers, more election lawyers. When Americans of all walks of life come before the court, they should have confidence that those who don the robes have the ability to walk in their own shoes, to see and understand their side of the story, and then apply the law properly according to the facts. One judge at a time, one judge at a time, this majority is expanding the possibility of who merits consideration to the bench. And I would be remiss 
if I didn't acknowledge my Republican colleagues who joined us on this occasion over the year to achieve this goal. In closing, I want to thank Chairman Durbin for, the beautif for beautifully executing this nomination process. It was equal parts fair, thorough, and expeditious. No easy feat in this modern Senate. I want to thank all of my Democratic colleagues on the Judiciary Committee. You were just fabulous, every one of you, for your respectful and insightful examination of the judge's record. And I want to thank my Republican colleagues who chose to take this process seriously, no matter which side you voted on. The president sent us an impressive nominee. She merited a robust and thoughtful and lively examination. I thank the members who did it precisely that. In short, Madam President, this is one of the great moments of American history. At the time of our Constitution's ratification, in most states you had to be a white, male, Protestant landowner to be considered part of American society. So from the get-go, generations of Americans have sought to establish the United States as a full democracy. We fought a bloody civil war to end slavery. Women, women organized and reached for the ballot. The civil rights movement brought an end to the vicious segregation of the mid-20th century. And today, we are taking a giant, bold, and important step on the well-trodden path to fulfilling our country's founding promise. This is a great moment for Judge Jackson, but it is even great, a greater moment for America as we rise to a more perfect union. I thank my colleagues for my, their work and I yield the floor. Again, we are, we are getting set for, to vote. We are, we are, the Senate is set to vote on the confirmation of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson of the District of Columbia to be an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I ask for the yeas and nays. Is, is, <laughs> is there a sufficient second? <laughs> there is. And certainly appears to be a sufficient second. The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Baldwin. Aye. Ms. Baldwin. So aye. they are getting set to, uh, they are, they are Mr. counting Barasco. the votes right now Mr. as they seek to confirm Ketanji Brown-Jackson as the next U.S. Supreme Court Justice. And while that is going on, just so you know, we... We have been talking about uh, we have been talking about gender um, gender equality or gender equity and inequality among peoples and justice and Chuck Schumer so rightly said that this is a major step forward for the United States of America the first black woman to be uh, confirmed as, as as a Supreme Court justice here in this country it's a major step forward. And um, just so you know, the discussion for today, we're looking at the corruption within Black Lives Matter movement. Are they closer to achieving their aims? And as we are discussing this, we are watching uh, a first black woman to be confirmed. 
And just so you know, uh, just we just heard the voice of Vice President Kamala Harris, who is also the first black woman to be Vice President of the U.S. Quite monumental. So when we ask the question, are are resistance movements, movements for social justice, are they closer to achieving their aims? And the fact that we are having Katanji Brown Jackson being sewn in today is a positive sign. But, but. It's important that I raise the issue because recently the Shade Room, the Shade Room via Instagram, the Shade Room via Instagram reported that Black Lives Matter founders reportedly used money to buy a $6 million California mansion. The 6,500 square foot estate has over six bedrooms and bathrooms, multiple fireplaces, a pool and parking for more than 20 cars. The home was reportedly purchased back in October 2020 with funds that had been donated to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. It was purchased by Diane Pascal two weeks after two weeks after Black Lives Matter received $66.5 million from its fiscal sponsor. Pascal is the financial manager for Janaya and Patrice's Consulting, an LLC operated by Patrice Collis and her spouse, Janaya Khan. Ownership of the property was then transferred to an LLC in Delaware, which ensured that the property's owner wouldn't be revealed. You'll recall that you'll recall that the organization co-founder Patrice Collis resigned back in May 2021 as the Black Lives Matter movement executive director following criticism for buying three homes in Los Angeles area and Atlanta. Meanwhile, BLM board member Shalomaya Bowers, Shalomaya Bowers stated that BLM had always planned to disclose the home's legal filings and it doesn't serve as anyone's personal residence. Of course, this is coming. This is a report from the Shade Room via Instagram, accessed April 5th, 2021, and confirmed by the Neoliberal Corporation research team. Now, I have said that I write that this is a dilemma of social power and movements. And of course, of course, reusing Kenneth B. Black's um, term, dilemma of social power, in his book, Dark Ghetto. In, which, which was written and pub, which was published in 1965. I said dark dilemma, the fact that uh, here we are, that the Black Lives Matter movement is fighting for justice and equity and against police brutality on people like George Floyd, the late George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Black Lives. Fighting for justice. And at the same time, we're hearing corruption charges and allegations of corruption. So we're saying that this is a dilemma of social power and movements, which is not new. Because the issue, when we talk about the dilemma of social power, Kenneth B. Black had already, had already written a, a, a famous work, Dark Ghetto, in 1965. So we're saying this is not new. This issue of corruption within social movements that thwarts the efficacy of social movements and leads into the serious question I pose and explored in part B of my book, Resistance, 
Part B of the book is called Resistance. But the book is Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance, Part A and Part B. But I posed a question in Part B where I stated that street protests and some degree of violence have been the main strategies of the resistance movements, such as the Global Justice Movement and the BLM, the Black Lives Matter Movement. But are they closer to achieving their aims? The effectiveness, the effectiveness of this resistance movement, the Black Lives Matter Movement, the Global Justice Movement, Civil Rights Movement, their effectiveness in our discussions here will be determined by the extent to which they have realized actual power, demonstrated change in the desired direction, demonstrated change in the desired direction. Again, the question is, based on, in light of of reports of allegations of corruption within resistance movements such as the Black Lives Matter movement here, the question is, are they closer to achieving their aims? And we're saying that the effectiveness, their effectiveness will be determined by the extent to which they have realized actual power. Demonstrate, which is, de- and, what, and, what we, and what is the realization of actual power? Demonstrated change in the desired direction. And that's directly from a quote from, from my book, Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance, page 16 from the book that was published 2021. So a group of individuals were having a small group discussion on the matter. This, this matter of the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter founders reportedly using donations to buy a $6 million California mansion. A group of individuals got together to have a discussion around this issue. And some persons were older, some persons were younger, some persons were in the middle. But of course the response is, some persons shake their head in dismay. Some people were, 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 were wowed. They said, wow. One person responded, said, I don't wrong her. Spend that money. So, may, so many Red Cross and because so, so many Red Cross and other charity foundations get paid big dollars. Why do they keep attacking black people for doing what has been done for centuries? One person, another person in the small group discussion responded, look at the churches today and religious leaders. They all or most of them live in mansions and drive expensive cars. So spend that money, girl. Laugh out loud. That was one. Another respondent was saying, said, seriously, seriously, guys, what about George Floyd's family? How much did they get from the loot? One other person responded saying, I don't know. I haven't been following. I just saw the headlines and thought that this is not limited to BLM. So many other organizations have been doing this for so long. Why now? Another person responded saying, just that, just that it's so easy for us to point things out when it affects or targets black people. I'm not saying it's wrong. It occurs so many, it occurs in so many other facets of our lives and for many years. The BLM is very young. And I guess that's in, the, in their defense. One person responded saying, and I'm going to, this is the last comment I'm going to lift up from the group discussion that they were having about this, the allegations here about the BLM. But she a thief, this in Jamaican parlance. But she a, but she a thief means she's a thief. 
Six million? Question sign. Imagine how many Bentleys parked up in her garage. Seriously, I need to baptize you again. So um, those were some of the responses that we were getting. But further, further, I, I wrap up the discussion here further. This issue with this BLM group must be situated within the wider discussion about the efficacy, about the efficacy of the resistance movements and neoliberalism, or what Martin Oppenheimer described as class retaliations or class relations. And I had written that, I had written that, and I quote, for when nationalists speak in the name of the working class, they leave the impression of exposing a working class political agenda. However, their project does not break with bourgeois consciousness, bourgeois consciousness. We see this bourgeois consciousness here. Again, with the B. again I said, whenever they speak, they speak in the name of a working class. They leave the impression of exposing a working class political agenda. However, their project does not break with bourgeois consciousness. And they never manage to see a way beyond capitalism. They may imagine ways to, and by the, the capitalism I'm talking about, I'm talking about the nepotistic capitalism. The capitalism of greed, devoid of the protestant ethic they may imagine ways to reduce foreign penetration domination and what passes for cultural imperialism however this stance reinforces capitalist class relations and bourgeois ideology while it fails to benefit the working class in any fundamental way we explored these limitations and considered possible alternatives in in the book Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance, page, um, chapter uh, part B, pages 164 to page 262. Moreover, moreover, I continue here. If social movements truly have any victories to celebrate, it's the war that has been won over information and communication. For communication is to make popular what was the monopoly and when one controls the narratives, it also centralizes the control of information. And it is easy to discriminate and to carry out and control the narrative from public view. But when you study poor people's movements, why they succeed and how they fail, by Francis Fox Piven and Richard Cloward in their 1979 book, and when you also study the book Who Rules America? Challenges to Corporate and Class Dominance by G. William Dumhoff in, the, in his 2009 book, one will find a usual pattern within movements that we must learn from if people are truly to experience social justice and equity within society. What is consistent is this capitalist classism of privilege, power, position, and status devoid of any real protestant ethic or spirit of humanity but another victory another victory that we can lift up today is small victories when you see when you see the confirmation of a Ketanji Brown Jackson being confirmed today as the 116th I believe Supreme Court Justice 
the first African-American woman. That is, this, that, is a, that is some progress. And when you see Barack Obama, the first African-American president of the United States, that's more progress. And when you see people such as Vice President Kamala Harris and various black and brown people who are now being considered as people who can actually hold offices that is positive for the U.S. But there's always a backlash. And we said that last year in the Capitol, there was a backlash because people have certain sensitivities and certain fears and concerns. And we have to also shift through that. But this is a major step forward. And I believe that there were some people who crossed the aisles, people, some Republicans who also joined the, 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 the Democrats in, in voting for, 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 this particular, um, for this particular nominee. So this is a major step forward. We will continue to have these discussions. And we are waiting. We are waiting right now for the confirmation of uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, they're tallying the vote and so on and so forth. As soon as we, as soon as they're ready to, to officially announce the vote and the confirmation, we will have that for you. We'll be right back after these messages. Liberal Round podcast and today today we have breaking news we are rejoining the uh, the Senate to hear the final votes and the official word concerning the confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson On this vote, the yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. We can confirm that the Senate, the U.S. Senate confirms Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the first African-American woman to be confirmed to the Supreme Court as a U.S. Court Justice, as a Supreme Court Justice. This is an important occasion and a momentous occasion 
And uh, VP Harris is speaking. The motion to reconsider is considered made and laid upon the table, and the president will immediately be notified of the Senate's action. Madam President, very happily, I note the absence of a quorum. And just so you know, just so you know, the Senate splits 50-50, 50-50, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats. And of course, the vote was 57, I think 57-43 to that effect, something to that effect. So that that's a positive sign that uh, not, the, and not only that, they had a quorum. So that was, this is good. And just so you know, there are, this is... There are those persons in our society who would wonder what what will our country look like when we have another set of people who we have, we as I said, we created a, a set of people based on skin and created a race. And then the the competition that leaves some people behind and where, and others can reap the benefits. Usually those of black-skinned or African-American, we call them, are left behind. And those pe- persons weren't fit to hold office and so on and so forth. But today, today we know we saw President Obama and how he, he was president and, and how he operated. He was dignified. And uh, he operated as if he was a person. And black people are human beings. Chinese human beings, white people, human beings, we are all one. And we all have a propensity to demonstrate rationality and to use our intellect and to work together to create a better society and a better world. And we hope that this is another step forward and that there is no, there isn't any backlash and any kind of demonstration objecting to this nomination because the per- because of a person's color or the color of a person's skin but we hope that we can move beyond that and that her work in the senate won't be polarized won't be one that would that's based in any particular lens but one that is based on fairness and justice for all so that America will continue to be, to be a nation that is fair and recognize the individual and protects the individual, irrespective of the individual's background. That is the victory. That is victory for social movements. Not, and, but there is also the propensity there is also the propensity to be infected by society and the ills of society, the greed of society. But this particular issue with uh, the Black Lives Matter shouldn't, shouldn't affect or shouldn't dissuade our efforts in working together to promote equality, fairness, and justice. But we should find ways in which we can prevent prevent these things from happening by, by ensuring that we have checks and balances 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. And continue to, to, to support our program. And you can support us by sharing this program with your friends, liking us, subscribing to us. And you can also access several of my articles, papers, blogs, and books by going on my website, renaldocmckenzie.com or thenearliberal.com. Thank you so much for listening to the program and have a great day. Take care. podcast is brought to you by the Neoliberal Round Corporation and thanks to Anchor.fm from Spotify for providing a free platform for us to promote our program. And of course, the host is Renaldo C. McKenzie, author of Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance. Please reach out to us at the Neoliberal at RonaldoCMcKenzie.com. Again, reach out to us at the neoliberal at RonaldoCMcKenzie.com or the neoliberal corp at the neoliberal.com. Thank you and take care. <laughs>